Welcome to Gracious Words. Gracious Words is taken from the weekly women's Bible study taught by Cheryl Broderson at Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, California. We behold your glory, God, in the face of Christ. It shows us who you are, revealing who you are. Isaiah 40:31 promises great things to those who wait upon the Lord. Today, we'll see how God brought a holy pause to Israel to slow them down and allow them to reflect on His goodness and His faithfulness. And now here is part one of Cheryl's message titled, A Holy Pause. So, I have a hard time pausing. Have you noticed? When I get the momentum going, I like to just charge forward. I remember Brian was gone traveling about 15 years ago, and I got the momentum to sew curtains for my downstairs. And I found the fabric for a dollar a yard. So it was all systems go and charge forward. And I just, I didn't take a break. In fact, I, be, I resented every phone call. I resented every knock at the door. I resented food. I resented anything that could possibly dampen my momentum or take away from my time till I got all the curtains sewn. And not only did I want to get them sewn, I wanted to get them up above the window. So when Brian would walk in, I don't know why, because he's non-reactionary, but I wanted them up like he'd go, whoa, what happened here? But of course he didn't notice. But I actually, I hung, nothing was going to stop me. I put up all the curtain rods above all the windows. And because I am not gifted in that area, I strip every single screw so that they're not coming out without taking the wall down with, with them. In fact, it's been like 15 years and I really need new curtains, but I just look at it going, that was so much work and I was so much younger then. <laughs> and I know the walls are going to come down with that. But do you get like that? Is it hard for you to pause once you get started on something? Once the finish line is in sight and you see the objective in front of you, are you like all systems forward? Is it hard to be gracious at those times to someone on the phone, to someone who comes to the door? My oldest daughter, and I don't know why I'm sharing this with you, has a pet name for me. And her pet name is Rushy Rushy. She doesn't even call me mom half the time. She goes, all right, rushy, 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 rushy. And there's a reason for that, obviously. It's not a compliment. It's a, it's a demarcation. One of Brian's favorite words is wait. And he doesn't say it with any sense of urgency. He doesn't like, wait. He says, wait. And it just kind of rolls off his tongue. Wait. And he's asking me to pause. 
And he knows how hard that is because once I get those engines started, I'm revving. I'm like, I'm waiting for the gun to go off. And usually I've got my key in my hand and I'm ready to rush out the door when I hear, wait, my handle's like, it's turning, it's opening, not now, I'm almost there. I remember years ago when we were living in Vista and I heard him saying it and I ignored him. I ignored him. I had been indoors for such a long time. My children at the time were like one and a half and three You know those times when you're like, what does the outdoors look like? What do people sound like? What is it? What is the market like? I think I remembered. And you haven't driven a car in so long, you're not even sure that you still know how to do it. It was one of those times. And I've been cleaning the house. And you know, when your children are one and a half and three, it's non-ending. It's non-ending picking up and cleaning and laundry. And the idea to feel like an adult just sounded so wonderful. And he said, we need milk. And I was like, yes. And I, like I said, I'd just been cleaning. I grabbed the keys and I went running out the door. And he said, wait. And I thought, no way. I'm almost to freedom. I see the car. The objective is in my sights. And I got in that car and I started to the market. And I saw people at every red light looking over at me and getting these quizzical looks and then smiling. And I thought, wow, I must be having a good day, which is totally amazing because I was cleaning the house. I'm taking care of, care of kids, but man, I still got it. Just a little bit, I still got it. I get to the market. Everyone is so nice to me at the market. I, I figured they must know that I never get out of the house. They're smiling. The, the, the one who's putting the bags in the groceries, he goes, see you, Queenie. And I'm like, whoa, somebody else called me princess. It was such a wonderful day at the market. And I finally came home with all the groceries, so proud of myself. I didn't listen to the wait. And I remember my oldest two, who are one and a half and, and three, they're looking up at me and my three-year-old, the one who calls me Rushy Rushy, she had this wonderful BFX smile, like, mom, you're wonderful. And I was looking at her like, even my kids, even my kids admire me. And Brian looks at me and you, Brian has, he says so much with his face. And he said, did you have that Hello Kitty crown on the whole time you were gone? It felt like a hairband. I just picked it up when I was vacuuming. It was in my way. It was full of sequins, you know, fit like a hairband, full of sequins with a great big kitty, crown kitty right in the middle of it. And I had run out the door, jumped in the car, driven to the market, done all my shopping, and I had frozen foods to pick up too. And then checked out of the grocery store, driven back and never once realized why Brian had said, wait. You see, we all need holy pauses in our life. Have you ever felt like I've got the momentum going? You see the promises, they're in sight, and you say, Lord, I know where you're going. I know how we're doing this. I've got this down. One more story, and then I'll get to it, because this is a good one. And it's not in my notes, so you know it's good. 
Brian and I, our first house was in Huntington Beach and our master bedroom was 10 by 10. And the queen bed that we put in there left about eight inches on each side. So in those days, you could get these particle board tables that you screwed in the legs on and they had three legs and you would put it on and we had to have the lips over that you know part of the table was overlapping our bed with the lamps on it and everything so even though we had a queen size bed we couldn't use all of it because six inches was dedicated to our side tables otherwise we couldn't have side tables in fact to get in bed you had to sidestep 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 and I remember this one night we were in our house and we'd gotten it in foreclosure and the people who we had bought it from, they, they had like criminal records and we weren't sure how they felt about us, you know, getting it in foreclosure. So there was a little element of um, concern. So this one night we heard this bang and it was loud. And Brian jumped up and he's looking around. He checked out the whole house, all 1,100 square feet and four bedrooms. There was no one in the house. It was safe. And he's like, I don't know what that was. Well, the next night I'm nursing my youngest child and Brian's asleep. And all of a sudden I see his hand just go out like this. Boom, and it hits the lamp. And I realize that's the sound I heard last night. It was Brian. And as quick as he hit that lamp, he jumps out of bed and he says, I heard it. <laughs> and he went running out of the room. And he went running down that way. And you know, I saw it straight by. And then he comes back, he looks through the door, he goes, I'll find them. And he goes running off the other way. And I'm laughing so hard, he thinks I'm scared. Because I'm going, because huh? 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 I want to say, it's you. You are the criminal. It's you. You're the perp. You know, come back. But I can't because I'm laughing so hard. And he thinks I'm totally scared. I'm like, ah, ah. but I'm not. I'm laughing so hard. And so he keeps running back and, you know, forth down the hall, looking, looking, because he knows he heard that sound. I even woke him up. But you know, that's us without the holy pause. We go charging out. I know what I heard. I know what to do. I know the direction I'm supposed to take. And we're making idiots out of ourselves, to say the least. But God is so good about hitting a holy pause button. And sometimes we're like, what are you doing? I can see it. I'm so close. Right now I have the energy for it. It seems like the atmosphere is perfect. Lord, seriously, a pause, a wait. But God does these holy pauses to remind us of his faithfulness, to give us time to purify and heal, to reflect and celebrate what he's done and the opportunity to taste and enjoy the provisions he's given us, but most of all, to give us an awareness of his presence with us. Because we have the need to be divinely led rather than to try to lead. The Bible promises great things to those who wait on the Lord. Isaiah 40, 31. But those who wait on the Lord will renew their strength. They will mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Holy pauses do not kill our momentum. They increase it by bringing a divine power into our lives, by giving us divine direction in order to fulfill his divine promises to us.
Has God called for a holy pause? Were you on the threshold of a promise? Has the pause button been pushed maybe a week, a month, a year? Do you feel like you're in that holy pause? Israel was. I think about this. Israel is on the threshold. Imagine the momentum that is being built up in Israel. They have done what their forefathers were unable to do in 40 years. They are actually standing in the promised land, not just looking at it, but standing in a in it, on it. Two of the greatest kings have already been defeated, Og and Sihon, the giant kings with the giant soldiers. Miraculously, they have crossed the Jordan. God has held back the waters and made a way. The troops of Reuben, Gad, and half of Manasseh, 40,000 men are armed and ready to fight for the promises of God. They can see Jericho in their sights and they know that fear has gripped the occupants of the land promised them. Rahab, who lives in Jericho, testified to the disposition of the people of the land that they were faint-hearted, filled with terror, hearts melted, courage disappeared. And that was before the renowned crossing of the Jordan. That's before this present miracle that they saw It is now known an absolute truth resounding through all of Canaan that God is on Israel's side and he is bringing his people into the land of promise. Presently, the people of the land, we're talking the big guys, the king of the Amorites, kings of the Canaanites, those who live on the west side of Jordan, they're hearing about what God has just done with the Jordan River and their hearts are melting and their spirits are no longer in them. They are terrified. They've lost the sense of fight. We've all heard the expression, strike while the iron's hot. And that's what they want to do. The iron is hot. It's a time to strike. It seems like the time is now This is the present atmosphere of Joshua 5, 1. And you'll get to verse 2 of Joshua 5. And what does God do? He hits the holy pause button. He wants to renew the covenant with Israel. Purification and healing before they go forward. Holy pause. He wants them to rejoice in the Passover and reflect on all he has done since Egypt. Holy pause. He wants them to recognize the changes in their lives. No more manna. Now they will eat the produce of the land. Holy pause. He wants them to recognize his presence in their lives as commander of the armies of the Lord. Holy pause. So what do we see that this holy pause is first for? It's first for a renewal of the covenant, Joshua 5, 2 through 9. The people needed to reacquaint themselves with who they were. They were the children of Abraham, heirs of the promises given to Abraham. And they needed to identify with the one who originally received the promise to the land, their great, 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 great grandfather, Abraham. And they needed to have this same sign of the covenant. This sign 
this act would remind them of who they were, but also why they were receiving the promises. They were receiving the promises because of God's promises to Abraham, because of God's goodness, because he loved Abraham, because of God's faithfulness to his promises, to his people, to his friend, Abraham. It would remind them of where they were, that they were actually in the land of promise, the same land that Abraham walked in, the same land where God said, Abraham, wherever the sole of your feet touch, I will give to you and to your descendants after you. Their renewal also included remembering the miracle and miracles that God had done. They needed to respond to God's promise personally. They needed to personally enter into this covenant with God, the covenant of their fathers, the covenant of Abraham, because the promises are only in the covenant. Just as today, all the promises of God are in Christ. There are no promises outside of Christ. All the promises are through Jesus. They needed to be refined. They needed to have part of their flesh or that sinful nature cut off. In John 15, 2, Jesus said that everyone who comes to him, his father prunes so that the person who comes to Christ might bear more fruit. He wounds us that we may enter his promises and so that we can be productive and even more productive in the promises he gives us. The people needed to heal. You know, there is a recovery time from pruning. In fact, I've been told that plants actually go into a kind of shock when they're pruned. And I'm sure these men who were circumcised were in kind of a state of shock. But you know, pruning is a shock to your plant. I remember we had these beautiful potato plants in our front yard and they gotten some kind of weird fungus on them. And I cut them back so much. I, I cut them back till they were just about two feet high and they've been huge. And Brian says, I'm sure you killed them. You really killed them. And I said, no, I read the book. I did it at the right time in the right way, but they were so full of fungus. I had to cut them till there was not one blossom, not one leaf, not one even little twig branch on those things. I had to completely prune them. But by that spring, they were more beautiful and healthier than they had ever been before but they took all of winter to recover and they needed that time to recover. So after Israel had cut away this foreskin, they needed to heal. God's refinement always requires a time of healing. We often need to recognize what was pruned and why it was pruned and what it means. There was a need of a physical healing, but often when we're pruned, we need a mental healing, an emotional healing, and even a spiritual healing. I have a friend who's a nurse, and she said to me, nothing aids healing like rest. The greatest thing you can do to heal is rest. David said in Psalm 23, verse 2, that God, his great shepherd, makes him lie down in green pastures. It's a forced rest. 
or a forced pause. These men had been born in the wilderness and they hadn't yet been circumcised. The circumcision time had not been right or the time for pruning. There was a special time set aside for this refining and for this healing. And God knows when that time is right. And it requires a holy pause. Those who had been circumcised were circumcised in Egypt, but they had died in the wilderness because of their unbelief. The men that came out of Israel, still, even though they were circumcised, still had Egypt in their blood. And so the men who had walked through the wilderness, they still lived as if they were slaves to Egypt. They never fully embraced the call of God on their lives. Though they were miraculously delivered from Egypt, sustained with manna, received water from rocks, given the law and tabernacle, organized into a nation, divinely sustained, in their hearts, they kept thinking about Egypt. They still saw themselves as slaves to Egypt. And at times they longed to return to Egypt because of the food, the land, the lifestyle, and what was familiar to them. Now a whole new generation has been born and grown up in the wilderness, and they don't know Egypt. They don't remember. They, they have nothing to recall Egypt. No remembrance. Old things are passed away. No memory. No longing for Egypt. It's completely gone. And they no longer identify themselves as slaves. And so God hits the holy pause button to allow them time to refine, heal, and redefine them as the covenant people of God. And he uses this time to completely roll away the reproach of Egypt. You see, God will call, call for a holy pause in your life because maybe you're not defining yourself in the right way. Maybe you still think of yourself as that person outside of Christ before the promises. And that can interfere with receiving the promises. And there needs to be a redefining of who you are as a child of God in the covenant by Jesus Christ. Next in Joshua 5.10, we read that the holy pause button was pressed in order to give them a time of reflection and celebration. Before going further, they needed to celebrate the Passover it was the anniversary of their deliverance from Egypt. Anniversaries are always a time of reflection. I know that when Brian and I have celebrate our anniversaries, we go out and we talk about when we dated and how we first met each other, what first attracted us to each other, how all the things that we've survived, like our four children. So with Israel, they were to remember how God called them, brought them together, that incredible night when the angel of death passed over their houses because they were marked by the blood of the lamb. And forever this was to be in the remembrance of the children of Israel. They were to reflect on it, God's deliverance. They were to tell the story, especially to those who had not lived through it because they were gone. But these were the children of those who had 
experienced it, and it was now their story to tell. The history was not to be lost. I know that I love to tell my dad and my mom's stories, my grandma and my grandpa's stories. That's part of my history. That's, that's part of who I am and how God has worked in my family's life. And I love to pass it down to my children. You know, I don't have money. I don't have possessions to pass on to my children, but I have the heritage of faith. And I can pass on these faith stories to my children so they're not lost. And it helps to identify and define my children so they know who they are. They get this sense of security. This is who you are. We all need holy pauses in our lives. They allow us to slow down and see danger ahead. They also give us a chance to reflect and see God's faithfulness in our lives. God uses these times to refresh and enable us by bringing a divine power into our lives and giving us divine direction in order to fulfill His divine promises to us. Israel needed this pause and power as they were on the threshold of the promised land. We hope you have been blessed by today's Bible study. For more information about the Gracious Words radio program and the teaching ministry of Cheryl Broderson, please visit our website at graciouswords.com. Coming up next time on the Gracious Words program, we'll continue to look at Israel's holy pause as we continue our Possessing the Promises series in the book of Joshua with Cheryl Broderson. We do hope you make plans to join us. Again, for more information, please visit our website at graciouswords.com. This program is sponsored by Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, California.